but yeah, it was, uh, like, once it started to get light, that's when I decided that, um, I was gonna kill her that morning, because, um, I was originally thinking that I would tie her up and keep her there, and maybe stay another night in the hotel, and then come back the next night, and, and go from there, but, um, yeah, I was there. There had been too many things that went wrong on that one, and she like she got already almost got away, and I just didn't want to take the chance. And the car and the road was really busy, so I just, uh, just decided to, to kill her that morning and just get away from the house in case anybody had noticed, you know, that there was a car there or something. Well, hello, Oddballs. It's your host, Bobby. You co-host, Kylie. And this is Oddities on Elm Street. We are back with episode 40. Um, my apologies for not uploading last week. We were hit by a tornado. Mm-hmm. Well, two tornadoes, I think, touched down. Was it too? Around here, yeah. So my power and my internet was yeah. taken out for about four days. Did so you end up fun. getting it back on Monday night? Sunday night, I got my um, power back. Mm. My internet was like in and out Yikes. all day until Tuesday morning. So, yeah. Yeah, that was scary. I know. It really was. I was like... I really do not want to have to wake this child up from his slumber, <laughs> but, you know, life or death. <laughs> yeah, seriously. So, um, this week, firstly, we have officially hit 100,000 streams. Oh, my gosh. So, to celebrate that, we have partnered again with the Mysterious Package Company to do a Ooh. giveaway, and we'll be doing that on my Instagram we're going to be giving away their new game called Body of Evidence. They sent me a copy. It is, it's seriously so cool. I have to show you after we're done. Oh it's like, it has pop-ups and stuff in it. It's, I don't know. It's really like immersive. That sounds so I'm very, fun. I, yeah, I'm very excited about it. Just so, in yeah. time for spooky season. I know, I know. <laughs> so it's not just like, you know, they have so many companies now that are doing like, case files and stuff Mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. not just like they're sending you files with evidence and then you have to solve it they have like little evidence cards you have to Mm -hmm. like quote unquote examine the body and the morgue it's it's really cool and um like i haven't seen anything like it before so uh if that's something you're interested in i think it'd be perfect for like a girl's night Mm -hmm. uh or family night or like Mm -hmm. something that you can just do by yourself if you have free time so, again, a big thank you to them. You can check that out on my Instagram. That is Instagram.com slash Bobby Curtis Lee. Can't even say my own name. Body. Body. <laughs> Body Curtis Lee. Um, and then I'll announce the winner in next week's episode. Uh, we also have two new patrons. So, shout out to our lovely new patrons betsy and cheyenne i think betsy joined like the good old spooky crew and then because i have like three tiers mm-hmm. and then cheyenne is in the spookiest crew Ooh, so, <laughs> so spooky so thank you for being our patrons your support is very appreciated 
right. I think that's all I got. Mm -hmm. So we'll do a morbid tidbit real quick. So I'm going to share like some statistics about murder (laughs) and crime. Perfect. You know, kind of ties into what we talk (laughs) about here. So statistically speaking, you know, women are more likely Mm -hmm. to be murdered by family or a partner in their own home. Whereas men are more likely to be murdered by an acquaintance or a stranger in a public place. Mm. I thought that was very interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was also a study done in Ch- by the Chicago Tribune that found that certain crimes increase when the temperature increases. <laughs> I knew it. Yeah, so like when the temperature is hotter, assaults, shootings, theft, and vandalism are like the main ones that go up. Nobody wants to go outside when it's cold. I know, exactly. So, um, I also thought it was interesting, the car that's stolen the most is the Honda Accord. I used to have one. That was my very first car, yeah. Oh my god, yeah, if you have a Honda Accord, lock that baby up. (laughs) (laughs) It was the one with the seatbelt where you close it and the seatbelt came. Ooh, fancy. Automatic. (laughs) (laughs) That's why people want it. Yeah, seriously. Uh, yeah, so there you have it. That's my little morbid tidbit. So, for our topic today, we're going to talk about a serial killer that I feel like isn't very well known, but in my opinion, should be up there with, like, Ted Bundy. Mm. Um, I first heard about him on, like, probably an episode on the ID channel or something Mm -hmm. like that, and I was blown away that I had never heard of him before. So, his name is Israel Keys. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He can only positively be linked to three murders, but according to him, he's responsible for at least 11. Oh, my God. And I say at least because Mm -hmm. during his interview with investigators, he kind of hints to being responsible for more, Mm -hmm. but then he would just, like, suddenly clam up and stop talking, which is very frustrating. Yeah. So they can never say indefinitely that, you know, it was him that committed Mm -hmm. those murders. But um, we'll mainly be focusing on the information we do have, which is Mm -hmm. those three victims. But before we talk about what he did, let's talk a little bit about who he is. So Israel was the second of 10 children. He came from a pretty big family and they lived in Utah. Uh, They were part of like the LDS church, like Mormons. Mm -hmm. So um, they were all homeschooled, all of his siblings. And they moved around quite a bit when he was a toddler. They moved from their home in Utah to Colville, Washington. They lived, like, pretty isolated. They didn't have heat or electricity. And the church that they attended is pretty well known for being, like, white supremacists Mm -hmm. and holding, like, anti-Semitic beliefs. So they were very extreme. Exposed to it so young, probably. Yeah. So after living in Washington State for a while, they moved to Oregon and then to an area in Maine that had like a heavy Amish influence. Mm -hmm. Now, Israel was kind of known as a troublemaker. He would break into people's houses, steal their things. He had a particular fascination with guns. Mm. Um, And he later admitted that around the age of 14 is kind of when he became self-aware enough to realize that something wasn't quite right inside of him. Like, he knew that he was different from other kids, 
but nobody was intervening, mm-hmm. right? So, like, if everyone else in your life is acting like you're normal, you're not going to think any differently. Yeah. So, as he grew up, he began to stray away from his family's extremist beliefs. Um, this pushed his father out of his life almost completely, but he still kept in contact with his mother. In 1998, he joined the U.S. Army. Um, he really liked being in the military. He got to travel a lot, spent time in Egypt. And other than like a DUI while he was in the Army, he didn't have any other issues with the mm. law. He was honorably discharged from the Army in 2001, and then he moved with the mother of his daughter on some tribal land in Nia. I think it's Nia. I think that's how you're saying it. Don't come for me. I don't live there. <laughs> but it's it's a tribal reservation in Nia Bay, Washington. Okay. As an adult, he still really enjoyed to travel. So in order to fund, you know, his travel, he would successfully rob banks you know it's gonna be something crazy <laughs> yeah and it's some- never he worked two jobs for his family <laughs> well it's crazy too because he was actually a very successful business owner mm, in alaska okay. he had like a contracting company for construction work um but yeah he would like burglarize people's homes and successfully rob banks so mm. that was kind of his thing the reason that i think israel is such a frightening person <laughs> is because he was very different from most serial killers in the fact that he didn't really have, like, a victim profile. Mm. He was more of an opportunist. So, like, for example, we know Ted Bundy targeted, like, college-age women with long hair, Mm -hmm. usually parted in the middle. Like, I remember talking on my TikTok about a woman who Ted had been, like, stalking, and he offered her a ride. And when she got in the car, he was like, why did you cut your hair? Yeah, I and think then I've he, heard of that yeah, too. And then he let her go because it just wasn't like mm-hmm. his thing. So um, most serial killers have like an MO, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, the only one off the top of my head that I can think of that was kind of like this was the Night Stalker, Richard sure, Ramirez. Yeah. Yep. So Israel never knew who he wanted to kill. It was always about where he wanted to. Like the timing was right or something? Yes, exactly. It was only like when he felt that the opportunity was there that he mm-hmm. would strike. And after he was caught and spoke to investigators, they wanted to know like what some things that he looked for, you know, in his victims was. He said that he would avoid houses with dogs, not only because like, you know, dogs will protect your property, but also because he didn't want to have to kill a dog. That was, like, it's it's weird because he's, hmm. like, a monster, but he has a strange moral yeah. code. Like, I'm not going to harm the, the dogs. They're so too bizarre. innocent. Yeah, and um, he also, like, didn't want to kill children or mothers because he didn't want a child to grow up without a mother. And that was mainly because he had a daughter. Mm. So he could empathize with children and mothers, but nobody else. Yeah. He also didn't like choosing homes with a detached garage. I guess that's because, like, you'll see, like, a pattern. He usually will steal the people's car. And so he wants to be able to get in and out without being seen and just be able to go through the garage, Mm -hmm. drive their car out, and nobody even knows. So it wasn't like he'd been stalking these people, and that's why he chose them. 
He actually told investigators that like when he chose his victim, there was nothing that could stop him from following through with their murder. So like, even if this person's trying to humanize themselves, Mm -hmm. he's like, I've already chosen you to die. It's it's very messed up. He also had like these kill kits all around the country. This, they were basically like five gallon buckets from places like, like hardware stores, Mm -hmm. like Home Depot. And inside he had like guns, ammunition, zip ties, pretty much anything you would need to murder a person. Kill kit. Yeah. And he would Mm -hmm. bury them underground and just remember where they were. So Mm -hmm. where he had these kill kits buried were the locations that he knew he was going to kill somebody. He just didn't know who yet. So he would travel across the United States. He would leave these all around. Um, That would be the destination where he would choose his next victim. And that is exactly what happened on June 8th, 2011. Israel had taken a flight from Alaska to Seattle and then to Chicago, where he rented a car and began driving east. The purpose of this was because he wanted to visit his brothers in Maine, but along the way, he made a stop in Indiana for a couple days and then at an old farmhouse that he owned in upstate New York, and then he went into Burlington, Vermont. He knew that he had buried a kill kit in Vermont Mm-hmm. Two years earlier. When you remembered? Yes. Like, where it was? Yes. The, he is, like, I. he's so meticulous. And, like, the mm-hmm. preparation that he goes through blows my mind. So strategic. It, he is mm-hmm. very strategic, yeah. So, after collecting some supplies from this kit, he returned to his hotel where he waited until the sun went down before taking off on foot. From there, just a little after midnight... He found himself outside of the house at 8 Colbert Street. He snuck around, checking to see if this place fit his criteria. Mm -hmm. No children, no dogs, and it had an attached garage. So he found their phone line and cut it. And he put a, a headlight on his head, broke into the home through the attached garage, and sleeping in their beds was 50-year-old Bill Courier and his 55-year-old wife, Lorraine Courier. Hmm. They were startled awake mm-hmm. by Israel, barreling into the room with a gun. He ordered them to roll over onto their bellies, and he zip-tied their wrists, asked them about any valuables in the house. Mm-hmm. And then after about 15 minutes, he was escorting them out to the garage and putting them in their own car. God, how scary. I know. It's awful. Now, it's around 4 a.m. There's nobody out on the streets. The three of them pull the car up to an abandoned farmhouse. This is like horror movie yeah, stuff. Yeah, seriously. That's It's terrifying. so scary. Um, he took the husband, Bill, first through the basement entrance and tied him to a stool. He returned to the car and Lorraine was running, trying to escape. Oh, my God. But he caught her. Tackled her, to the, tackled her to the ground and dragged her back mm. to the farmhouse. He brought her upstairs, and after tying her up securely, he went back to the basement where Bill was screaming for his wife. Mm-hmm. Bill, when Israel went back there, Bill was partially free. He had broken the stool that he was tied mm. to. And um, during his interview, Israel explained that this 
pissed him off because he has a very specific way Mm -hmm. about doing things. And when, you know, the whole thing's planned out, when it doesn't go the way that he wants, it like throws him off. Throws him off. Yeah, they were. So the investigators, they also asked, like, what, because I think I have a direct quote in here. Let me see. He said there was a very specific way I want things done, and I have the whole thing planned out. I have everything I need to do it. And then when they asked, he wouldn't say what he had planned for Bill, Mm -hmm. but investigators already knew, like, he had planned to rape Bill, just like he had his wife, Lorraine. But instead, Israel hit him with a shovel, but it didn't even knock him to the ground. So he hit him again. It knocked him to the ground, but he was right back up on his feet and yelling for Lorraine. So Israel is now furious. He ran back downstairs and opened fire on him, hitting him 10 times and killing him. And then went back upstairs to rape Lorraine. When he was done, he brought her to the basement to show her what he had done to her husband before strangling her with a rope. Yikes, that's so scary. He poured Drano on their bodies. I didn't know this was a thing, but I guess it can speed up decomposition. Mm. Um, And then put their bodies into trash bags. The farmhouse was demolished and the rubble was hauled away with Bill and Lorraine's bodies still inside. It was six hours from start to finish. No one suspected a thing. Their murders remained unsolved until his confession. Mm -hmm. He got into his rental car and drove the rest of the way up to Maine and visited his brothers just as he had planned. It's normal. So, it's so, like, Mm -hmm. such psychotic behavior. It's so scary. You really have to, like, dissociate yourself from, Yeah. you know, what just happened. Okay, now I'm going to visit my brother. Right? Like, it's it's insane. Okay, so now we jump to February 1st, 2012. 18-year-old Samantha Koenig is working late at Common Grounds, which was like a small coffee stand in Anchorage, Alaska. She's just about done with her shift when a man comes in and orders an Americano. And as she turns around to hand him the drink, she's seen on surveillance video looking startled. She puts her hands up. Mm. It's Israel. He mm-hmm. demands money. She complies, but doesn't realize that Israel's not there for the money. Right. He's already decided that yep. that's going to be his victim. So he forces his way into the coffee stand. It's it's like a very small... I don't know how to explain it, but... Um, this is stand like a stand like a food truck or something, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, He forces his way in. He ties Samantha's hands with zip ties. He, again, didn't, it wasn't like he saw Samantha and said, that's going to be my victim. He chose the Common Grounds coffee Mm -hmm. place specifically Mm -hmm. for that occasion. Um, He considered other places, but this happened to be the one that was open the latest. Mm -hmm. And that's the only reason he chose it. Just like he did with the couriers, Israel planned to use Samantha's car to abduct her, but she didn't have one. In fact, she was waiting for her boyfriend to come pick her up after her shift. Uh-uh. 
So he began walking with her across the road into a parking lot. There's like an IHOP on one side and a Dairy Queen on the other. There are customers like Mm -hmm. everywhere, but everyone's totally unaware of what's happening. Samantha even at one point broke free and started running, Mm -hmm. but just like Lorraine was tackled, uh, he put a gun to her side and told her, you know, don't do Mm -hmm. that again. Um, And then he led her to his white pickup truck, bound her inside, and drove away. Samantha obviously was in sheer panic, but Israel told her not to worry because he claimed that this abduction was only for the purpose of ransom. He convinced her that if she just cooperated, she'd be returned to her family unharmed. And at some point during the drive, Israel realized Samantha didn't have her cell phone, which was necessary to follow through with this plot to request Mm -hmm. ransom money. So he actually drove back to... He's very ballsy. He drove back to the coffee shop where he had just abducted this girl, uh, got her cell phone, got back into the truck, drove away again, and then from her phone sent two text messages. The first one was to her boyfriend, and the second was to the owner of common Mm. grounds where she worked and he tried to make it sound as if she had just had a bad day and needed to get away for the weekend the text said quote hey i'm spending a couple of days with friends let my dad know end quote and the boyfriend was supposed to pick her up yes and he knew like something is not right this is not like samantha doesn't sound right right and so As if that wasn't messy enough, when Israel asked Samantha for her debit card, she told him that she had a joint account with her boyfriend and that the ATM card was in the truck that her and her boyfriend shared, the one that he was supposed to pick her up in. So she gives him directions to her house and gave Israel the pin to her debit card. He brings Samantha to his home. He has a shed in front of his house puts her inside, and turns the radio so loud that no one would hear her if she screamed. Then he left to go to Samantha's house to get her her debit card from her boyfriend's truck. And while he's there, Samantha's boyfriend sees him going through the truck Mm -hmm. and hollers at him. He yells at him, goes back into the house to get help, and by the time he comes back out, Israel's gone. It's so frustrating because it's like in that split second, you could, yeah, you could have Ugh, just, it's awful. So he drove to the ATM machine just to make sure that Samantha gave him the right pin. Mm-hmm. She did. And then he returned to the shed where he had her. He raped and strangled her. Mm-hmm. And then went back inside of his house where his girlfriend and daughter were. Oh, and God. continued to plan for an upcoming cruise that he was taking from New Orleans. And he left that morning, February 2nd, mm-hmm. with her body still in the shed. So Israel goes on this cruise with his family, all the while knowing that Samantha's dead body lay in his shed Mm -hmm. back home. He returned to Anchorage on February 17th and then began preparing a ransom note. Mm -hmm. In the note, he demanded that $30,000 be deposited into Samantha's account, but there was only one issue. He needed proof of life, and he had killed Samantha on the same night of her abduction. Because he lived in Alaska and it's now February, the cold temperatures have kept 
Samantha's mm-hmm. body from decomposing. Oh, yeah. So mm-hmm. Israel formulated this plan. He braided Samantha's hair. Oh, put, God. Put some makeup on her and sewed her eyes open <gasps> to appear as if she were still alive. And then snapped a Polaroid picture of her while he held up the front page of the Anchorage Daily News that was dated from February 13th, 2012. feel nauseated yeah and Gross. um i mean you can find the picture I'll, I'll post it on patreon but just knowing that she is not alive mm-hmm. in that picture it's so chilling mm-hmm. to see samantha's boyfriend then got a text from her phone and it said quote connor park sign under pick of albert ain't she purdy end quote mm-hmm. so in anchorage there's this park called connor's bog park At the time, there was a lost dog flyer hung up, Mm -hmm. and um, the name of the missing dog was Albert. So the Anchorage Police Department actually go there, and they find the ransom note underneath this Mm -hmm. poster. And in the days that followed, Israel dismembered Samantha's body. He drove out to a nearby lake where he had cut a hole in the ice and dumped her remains into the water. Uh, he then decided to ice fish out of that same cutout. And you know how ice fishers have, like, the little structures that they put on? The, I think they're called shanties. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like, yep. they have, like, this little, I don't even know. It's like a little house. Yeah, thingy. a little booth. Yeah, they put them out. So he thought, this is the perfect opportunity. I can set this up and get her body in here without anyone knowing what I'm mm-hmm. doing. And then went on to catch a few fish out of the same area where he had just dumped Samantha's remains. Yeah, that lucky man. And then went home and served the fish as dinner to his girlfriend and daughter. Oh my god. He's like so fucked up. (laughs) So sick. He's the worst person ever. And meanwhile, Samantha's father is depositing this money, believing that his daughter's still alive. (sighs) That's so sad. Um... The community actually got together and donated as much as they could to come up with this money, not realizing that she was already gone. The police department hoped that they'd be able to catch whoever had abducted her by tracking the withdrawals that were being made from her ATM card, but Israel was already back on the move. He made a couple withdrawals in Anchorage, but then the next ones were made in Arizona New Mexico, and then in Texas. So they almost had him mm-hmm. with the second withdrawal, but then he was already thousands of miles away. And each time they pulled the surveillance video from those ATMs, Israel's face was covered by a ski mask, so they couldn't see his identity. The only clue that they had was that he was driving a white Ford Focus. And thankfully, just by a stroke of luck, an officer on the Texas Highway Patrol pulled over a car matching that exact description. The white Ford Focus was speeding past uh, Corporal Brian Henry, and when Israel stopped, they took note that he was from Anchorage. Mm. They were just kind of peeking around inside his car, and they saw women's clothing, a gun. They saw Samantha's debit card and her cell phone, so they had enough to arrest Mm -hmm. him. 
Once he was taken to the police station, he had a six-hour interview with investigators. Uh, at first, like he tries to strike up a deal with them. He says, I'll give you the information you're looking for so that these families can get closure, but I want assurance that if I talk, for one, that my crimes won't be sensationalized because I don't want my daughter to know about the horrible things I've done. This is also kind of why, like, when investigators would, like, probe him about what he did to these people before killing them, he wouldn't talk about any of the sexual assaults or the necrophilia. But then he also says, I also want assurance that I'll be put to death in less than a year. I don't want to live my life caged up. So, during this interview is when he not only admitted to the murders of the couriers in Vermont, the murder of Samantha in Alaska, but also more. Investigators would question him about these other cases they thought he could be responsible for, but he would, again, like I said earlier, he would kind of start to talk, give them a little bit before completely retracting everything and going silent. Um, he would keep saying, I'm not going to talk about that. Mm -hmm. So it's obvious that he is responsible for more murders than what he's confessed to. Also in the tapes, he's like laughing. Like, Ew. while he's talking about this, he's, he's like, chuckling about it. It's so disturbing. Um, he's super cocky. He tells them, like, you'll only know if a victim is connected to me if I tell you. And But he's right. Gross. Because he was so meticulous and thought out about everything. And it's terrifying to think that, like, how many people could be out there mm -hmm. that just haven't been caught yet because they're just like this. Mm-hmm. So his suspected victims include an unidentified rape victim happened around 1997 or 98. Oh my gosh. He admitted to this. He said the girl was between 14 and 18 years old. <sighs> she was actually tubing on a river with her friends. He lured her away. He said that he had planned on killing her, but that he, quote, wasn't violent enough. The rape was never reported, so the victim mm -hmm. is still unidentified. They believe his first murder took place in Nia Bay, Washington, after he was discharged from the army in 2001. They don't know who the victim is, but Israel confirmed that the murders did start after he moved to that area. His response was, quote, yeah, Nia Bay is a boring town. Oh, God. Yeah. He confessed to murdering a Washington couple. He couldn't remember when. He said it was sometime between 2000, 2001 and 2005. Mm -hmm. And he claimed he buried them near a valley. He actually said that he had he had killed four people total in Washington State between 2001 and 2007. But that's pretty much all he mm -hmm. gave them about those. He did say that at least one of those bodies was put into Crescent Lake in Washington, and he said he used anchors to weigh them down. During the interview, upon showing Israel a picture of 49-year-old Deborah Feldman, he said, quote, I'm not ready to talk about that one. So they're pretty sure he killed Deborah because um, they also found out that he had been searching for her case on his computer right before his arrest. So, like, how else would you know about her, you know? 
Um, there's also speculation about some other victims, like a 13-year-old girl named Julie Harris, who disappeared from Colville in 1996. Her prosthetic feet were found a month after she vanished, mm. but her remains weren't found until the next year. Um, her cause of death couldn't be determined. Obviously, she was probably too um, decomposed, mm -hmm. and police knew that Israel was in that area at the time of her murder. He never confirmed killing her, but he also never denied it. So, there's another girl, 12-year-old Cassandra Emerson from Colville. She was reported missing after her mother was found dead in a burnt-out trailer, and Cassandra's remains were also found a year later. They think he might be connected to that one because he did admit to committing arson on a trailer in Colville. Mm. He also admitted to being the murderer of a person who was found in a lake whose death was actually ruled accidental. They think he might also be responsible for the shooting deaths of two hikers in Washington State back in 2006, 56-year-old mother Mary Cooper and her 27-year-old daughter Susanna Stodden. He confessed to at least one murder in New York, but they could never connect any of the mm -hmm. cases to him. He had also done some traveling in Canada as well. They suspected that he might have been responsible for a murder that happened in British Columbia, but when he was asked if he had any victims there, his response was, quote, Canadians don't count. He also admitted that something he wanted what he had planned on doing was traveling to places that had been destroyed by natural disasters, posing as a contractor because he owned that company, mm -hmm. and he would just take advantage of the chaos and find new victims. So, just a piece of shit, basically. Yeah, seriously. So infuriating. It is. Did his wife know? No. His no girlfriend? Idea. She had no idea. Girlfriend. No. And that, it's so crazy to me, because it's like, I don't maybe know. looking back and being like, oh, well, Yeah, maybe maybe in hindsight. Signs, yeah. Yeah. But who knows? I don't know. Um, mm. So on the morning of December 2nd, 2012, guards were surprised by the sight of blood-soaked sheets in Israel's cell. He had somehow gotten hold of a razor blade. Stop. Yeah. He slit his wrists and strangled himself with his bed sheet while laying in his bed, but not before drawing 11 skulls in his own blood, and that's believed to be the 11 victims that Israel is responsible for. He is just toying around, seriously. He's a disturbed person. Yuck, 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 yuck. So I will have some case information posted on our Patreon if you want to check that out. It's at patreon.com slash oddities on Elm Street. Um, I think on there, like, I can post the ransom photo, the surveillance video of her being abducted. Oh, yeah. There's probably more. I just can't think of anything off the top of my head, but that will all be on Patreon. But yeah, that that's the very disturbing case of Israel Keys. It's one of those things where it's like, 
I don't feel like justice was served. He no, got out the easy way. He definitely did. But it's also like I'm I'm glad that he's not allowed to breathe the same air yeah. as us at the same time. It's such a hard thing. Like I go back and forth with like the death penalty and right. and stuff like that cuz it's like I want you to suffer. But it's hard. And yeah, it's, it's definitely hard. It's such a hard topic. It is because people like him that have no empathy and have no like, you know, he he had even told investigators that he felt nothing for right. Samantha or any of his other victims. Like he didn't feel any remorse. He's definitely like a narcissist. Oh, absolutely. For the fact that he's saying, "I don't want my daughter to know," well, then why she do in the first place? You right. Know? Like exactly. You don't want to make yourself look bad for your daughter, but. Look but, at literally all you did. Yeah, you were willing to do that to someone else's daughter. Exactly. You know, like, what kind of fucked up moral code is that? Yeah. And that's, I think he thinks that he is, like, a good person for that. Like, oh, I'm not going to kill kids. I'm not going to kill innocent animals. Mm -hmm. Everyone else is free game. Like, what? That's Especially with the Canadian thing. I literally yeah. was speechless when you said that. Right. Like, He's just, ugh, I have oh, no gross. words for this man. Yuck. But yeah, that is our episode for today. Um, thank you all for being here. Let us know if you enjoyed our episode. Don't be shy. Mm -hmm. We love to hear you. <laughs> Talk to us. Um, Talk to us. Make sure to check out the giveaway post on my Instagram. And remember to always keep it spooky. Mm -hmm.